0: Welcome to another episode of Civil Conversations with Matt Aguido. I'm very excited for you all to listen to this conversation. I invited three pastors, Rose Lee Norman, Ray Graves, and Randall Reese. They sat down with me to talk to me about what's going on in their lives, the churches that they pastor and lead, how Topics like race and politics has impacted them and also their ministries and also the cities that they serve. Uh, This conversation was very passionate, very real, and very open. Uh, I am a longtime Christian and was very excited to really even express my own views in this conversation. I hope you all are able to really glean something from this. Uh, It's worth every bit. This is a two-part series. Uh, Get your popcorn and uh, buckle up. We're about to go for a ride. In this episode, I wanted to have a pastor's point of view. Um, there are definitely multiple Christian point of views. Uh, and I think we will definitely have continued conversations because these three are looking at it from their purview and, and, and basically you know, taking care of the flock, right? But, but beneath them, I say that from the perspective of who they're responsible for, not as in regards to level of quality who they are. Um, I've had conversations with these three. I know that they believe everybody is equal. Um, but they do have a task within the organized church to pastor people. Um, So we will go into introductions first, uh, and I go by a lady's first model, and so we're going to ask Rose or Pastor Rose, but they also they're okay with not having to be addressed as pastor, uh, to introduce herself, give her about two minutes to introduce herself, and then we'll go around to Rayshawn and then Randall. One,
1: Wonderful. yeah thank you so much matt i'm really excited to be here glad that it ended up working out um again so glad to um, be a part of this conversation Uh, my name is rose uh, pastor rose as i'm known in my congregation Um, i serve at sanctuary covenant church which is in minneapolis minnesota we are an urban multi-ethnic church we were founded in 2003 by pastor ephraim smith um, and we are a commu- we are a church body that really is planted um, for the purpose of our community in North Minneapolis. Um, North Minneapolis is the historic epicenter of the African American uh, community in Minneapolis. Um, it's been historically under resourced, and certainly has um, felt the effects of that, largely due to racism, and so. Um, we have, there's lots of needs in our community. Um, it is changing a bit because of gentrification, but, um, I'm serving, I've served there for 10 years, again, in the role of associate pastor. So I'm really, lo- I look at how do we build processes and, um, systems to help disciple, uh, people in our congregation.
0: Um, I- Oh, yeah. I'm
1: sorry. Go ahead. Go. I'm married to Ryan. We've been married for 13 years um, and we have two daughters. So that's a little awesome. bit about, about me.
0: Thank you. Thank you. And uh, Rayshawn.
2: Yeah, I'm uh, Rayshawn. I'm here in Richmond, Virginia, pastor of West End Baptist Church. Uh, church has been around 17 years, 18 years. I've been I've been there for two years. Uh, as pastor, kind of came in as a revitalization, which essentially just means trying to figure out the next season for the, the life of the church. And uh, that's one where we want to be uh, multi-generational, multi-ethnic, um, kind of a unique thing. I'm um, an African-American pastor in a uh, majority white church in the South. So um, yeah, in the in the kind of passion and pursuit of, of reconciliation, um, yeah, it's, it's kind of my heart. I'm, I've been married for 12 years to my wife, Tiffany, and We've got a, a son and daughter and, uh, yeah, that's, that's it. way.
3: Awesome. And Randall. Hey, I'm Randall Reese. I'm the lead pastor of Hope Church in High Point, North Carolina. We're about an hour, uh, north of Charlotte. And, uh, my wife, Sandra and I planted Hope Church about 18 years ago. We planted from scratch and, um, uh, God's just really blessed us. We've, we've been an, Privilege to be able to facilitate and help launch about eight other churches out of our church.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Uh, one of the things that God called us to, uh, by the way, Sonder and I have been married for 30 years. We have four children. Mm-hmm. We are now empty nesters and enjoying every minute of it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but one of the things that we were called to early on <clears throat> when we started the church was uh, racial reconciliation and um god just really blessed us in that area and um pre pre covid before the covid thing hit um we we're having a fantastic year and we're probably our church is about 40% african american and um the few hispanics and then mostly white other than that so uh that's who we are and uh just privileged to be here tonight um be, be on this program Honored, awesome. honored to be here. Thanks for the invite, Matt. No, thank
0: you. Thank you for, for joining. Um, so I, I, you know, I want to open up with a, a statement. I think it's important <laughs> to probably this first off and first time in history of this short show is we'll go open in prayer. Um, and then we'll go in, um, uh, uh, I will be as honest as I possibly can be. This is a very personal topic. For everybody, um, and definitely, this has been a journey for me as well. So I definitely want to um, want us to make sure that we go in this with the right set of right right mindset. Um, so I just quickly pray, Lord, thank you for uh, just being who you are. Um, we got challenged technically. Uh, you think about all of the shows that are, <laughs> we've done and never had a single blip. We autom- automatically say, Hey, let's. You know, I'm sorry. We all we all of a sudden now say, Let's talk about Christianity and race and politics and. I have technical issues and uh, we have technical issues, but I just thank you for just um, giving us the opportunity to come together and have this real discussion um, uh, about these 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 areas between different people from different backgrounds and uh, just bless the rest of this conversation in your son's Jesus name. Amen. 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 So um, the the thing about Christianity, politics and race and the reason why these three I want to pull these three together is because. As Christians, I find that um, we we have a faith. We believe in God. We believe in who Jesus Christ died for our sins. Um, the but, however, is we also live in this world from the perspective of our nation, our city, our town. Um, we go to work. We have different things that we deal with. And we have... Uh, Um, the ability to be impact, to be an impact, but also to be impacted by the things that are going on. Um, And so when it comes to politics and race in particular, uh, on both sides, let's talk about politics, for example, Um, we know historically, um, from a political standpoint, we've been all over the place from a Christian standpoint in the US, okay. And uh, for me personally, I grew up a Christian who leaned more conservative, um, uh, definitely focused on uh, a lot of the different issues that that we see in society but I lean more on the conservative side for a while and I've left that that default uh, form of thinking uh, years ago um, and then you have some Christians who you know are more on the, what they say the left or the liberal side um, and in my promo video I talked about how like you know the Bible can be used to justify whichever one right um, and uh, historically Christians have leaned more towards a lot towards the conservative side primarily due to Two major issues, um, or two major concerns. I think one of them is no longer as much of a concern amongst Christians, and I, I'm just going to blatantly say it. When it comes to just the rights, it's, it's homosexuality, the LGBTQIA uh, community. I find that more and more Christians are speaking less against that, um, but we're still holding on to abortion, um, and and basically pro life. And then on the race side, from social justice standpoint there's a divide amongst the reality of race issues. And I don't want to make it a black and white thing only. I think it's, it's, it's more than that, right? There are other races that are not represented on this call um, specifically tonight, but we will have a conversation to have other representation. You all know I'm very sensitive about that. However, um, the polarizing opposites right now are black and white. Um, but Asians, Hispanic, um, Indians, N- N- Indians and Native Americans, so on and so forth, also fall into the same uh, concerns around race. So I wanted to bring these people together for us to have this conversation and also just kind of get a take from each one of them individually as pastors as to how they're doing. So I'm going to start in reverse and just ask Randall if you could spend a minute and let us know, how have you been? And we'll start with race for right now, and then we'll slide over to politics. How have you been since the uh, George Floyd murder
3: um, overall? And how, how have you been? How's your church been, et cetera? Man, it's it's been crazy. Um, you know, when the George Floyd thing happened, I'll be honest, um, I, I was stunned. To me, it's like this perfect storm. You know, it was the COVID shutdown. Um, there was a lot of frustration already. And you see this perfect storm happening. And it's like looking in the distance and seeing the storm. And there's absolutely nothing you can do to stop it. I was in complete shock, uh, heartbroken, you know, and I honestly, I didn't know what to say. Um, and I've already apologized to my congregation. I didn't say enough quick enough, loud enough. And, um, you know, I think that hurt me as far as we, we had a few families to, to leave the church because of that. Mm -hmm. african-american families
0: i was gonna say did you did you i was gonna say what was it all like black families african-american families did you have any any other races decide to exit based off of their perspective of your response or actions
3: not that i know of uh, but but you know i did eventually address it and part of the reason i didn't say enough quick enough was because i was like just in shock it's like I couldn't really find the words, you know, um, the thing that kept echoing in my spirit was, are we still here? Mm. Are we still here after all we fought for after all that we've done? And like almost overnight, we're back here. And it's, it's incredibly frustrating. Um, and yeah, it's been, I think, a very, very powerful journey and life changing journey because it's it's allowed me the opportunity and the honor to sit down with some close friends who are different from me and have some very uncomfortable conversations.
0: So before we will definitely dig into that, I want to know more about those uncomfortable conversations. And I'm going to slide over to Rayshawn. Um, Give us a bit, you know, from your perspective, you know, being a, a, a black pastor in Richmond, Virginia, a lot's going on in Richmond. Um, a lot is
2: definitely. I yeah, know. Go ahead, oh,
0: yeah. No, go ahead. Go ahead and tell me how have you been since I saw it happen?
2: Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, a lot's definitely going on in Richmond. Um, it, it's kind of cool in one sense to see just so much happening here and like the former mm-hmm. capital of the Confeder- Confederacy and then a lot of the Statues and monuments and things just involved things being taken down, uh, people speaking up, a lot of people speaking up for the first time. Uh, yeah, it's that's amazing. So, uh, for me, it was, uh, there was some I didn't watch the George Floyd video. Um, quite frankly, I, I haven't been watching a lot of the, the most recent videos. I mean, the, the one you know in Minneapolis Rose, uh, with uh, Philando Castile, just that was the one that, that did it for me, and mm-hmm. uh, that's been that's kind of the really pivotal one for, for me. Um, I mean, in addition to the, the stories of, of the past and so forth. But, um, but yeah, so I, I didn't watch the video. I, there was just kind of a, a sadness, a, a grieving. You go through the, the entire grieving process as a black man and just never know which kind of which stage you're going to find yourself on or what day. Right. So I was trying to process through that. Uh, at the same time, got a lot of calls from different pastor friends, uh, mostly, mostly white, to just talking about, you know, people are talking about this. How do I talk about it? You know, what do I do? Uh, folks checking in on, on me to see how I'm doing, folks from the church, folks uh, from friends and different things like that. So uh, it was trying to really think about how do we move forward in this particular moment at the same time that I'm trying to process and grieve. And at the same time, trying to, trying to pastor a church well through it. Um, the, the folks in, in our church, again, I got there two years ago, but this is one of the things that just wasn't largely talked about prior to that. So, it's really thinking about like, how do I love these people well, pastor them well, not hit them up with my opinions, but really open God's word, show that this this is something that's really close to the heart of God, and uh, and and what to do about it. So, we started off praying. It's, uh, prayers of prayers of lament, different things, in our pastoral prayers. But when everything hit, you know, with COVID and everything, we started doing some of that online. Um, but even it's it was kind of coming up in sermons during that time. But wanted to take a minute just kind of gather some stuff. And even for me, just as the primary preacher, like try to figure out what exactly do we want to say? So we started a series um, this month, the last two weeks in, in July and, and this month um, called Advocates. Where we're just talking about, you know, ethnic reconciliation, gospel unity. And uh, we've just been saying, talking about how we got to this moment, what, what's required of us as God's people, and then uh, what, what reconciliation, what peace looks like. And so uh, we're in the middle of that series and man it has taken a ton out of me i had no idea that this would i mean processing at the same time as preaching and trying to lead man yeah it has totally kicked my butt so uh i will be taking a nice uh a break in september but um i had no idea that that it would it would definitely take this much out of me but i'm excited to hear that to see that so many people are are open and interested in, in trying to figure out how to move forward but at the same time, man. Yeah, it's it's a it's a grind, it's a work. So I'm I'm just really tired. So that's that's where yeah. I'm at. No, I appreciate that because I, I one one thing I, I
0: you know you you kind of you touched. I was thinking and you touched it where you know you're you're leading people, but you're also black, so you're feeling it. Um, and then like what everyone can relate to at least between the three of you guys is that there's expectations for you all as pastors that you still have that you can't let go, right? Um, while managing all the emotions that's a lot to that's a lot to take on um, especially in this time you know during COVID so now I I value that a lot and Rose um, and Rose is actually in Minneapolis Um, she is in the city where George Floyd was murdered Um, and so her perspective is pretty crucial um, and critical I think uh, as well so Rose if you don't mind uh, introducing yourself and Going into, I mean, Angie, going into a bit of what you, uh, how you've been.
1: Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that question. I think it's a really helpful one for us to be asking, but for clergy to be hearing from one another how we're doing and to support each other. So I'm really grateful, even just to gain two more um, clergy friends and another um, brother in Christ, Matt. So just really grateful. But um, yeah, it has been a, a whirlwind summer. Um, It definitely feels as though we're in relief mode because of all that's transpired. I, I personally didn't, I wasn't necessarily surprised that it, the event happened because police brutality is so rampant and widespread in the United States, but it was, it was well, I'm, you know, you'll all remember that it was right after Ahmad Arbery, it was right after Breonna Taylor, like it was one right. after the other after the other. And I think some of that was why it exploded so much in Minneapolis in particular, because certainly wouldn't necessarily imagine that 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 a um, civil rights movement in many ways would happen in minneapolis so it was definitely a shock in that sort of way of just the widespread not just nationwide but throughout the whole world um response to um mr floyd's murder so it um that that was a shock in that sort of way um it's been a roller coaster for sure um, as a pastor here in the city in minneapolis um because um where we're at in north Minneapolis it is as I believe I already shared um you know it's under resourced we have um one really main um grocery store a few kind of outliers and smaller but of you know a big grocery store there's one and our church is right across the street from it and um you know when riots were happening um that grocery store was hit and so um overnight in many crazy miraculous ways we became a grocery store a distribution center for our community and um, for about two weeks straight every single day we fed um, our neighbors and gave uh, you know distributed goods and groceries um, for about 500 people every single day for I think it was like not 10. Twelve days straight, and so we we're just so exhausted for one thing. Um, but then eventually moved to um, a, a weekly distribution every Friday. So we're continuing to serve about four to five hundred of our neighbors every week. We've had about two thousand volunteers come through um, to serve, and so whew, it's been an exhausting summer in that sort of way. And yet. Um, Rayshon you kind of touched on it around the energy like it has sparked a new sort of energy for the work of liberation that you know as multi-ethnic churches we've been praying for this we probably didn't think it would happen in this way and it certainly takes a toll um, but there is some energy around um, the fact that People who are not engaged in this conversation are now, and that's really important. And so, I'm hoping that that momentum continues. So that's been hopeful.
0: Yeah, you know, one thing that I I got from you three, thank you for doing that, uh, saying that, Rose. Like, one thing I got from you three that I noticed is that there's, um, I think there's like a there's there's a there's a a a level of like I don't say happiness is the right word, but satisfaction with the fact that we're having the conversations. However, I also noticed and and please, I hope no one gets offended by this statement. It's like, there's also varying levels of preparedness that I just picked up from all three of you. Not because the heart's not there, but it's varying levels and almost graduates. So like you take a Rayshon, for example, who's a black man, he's just lived the life, right? So he's aware. And then you have Randall, who is, he, he has friends. He had. I'm sure you, ha- you know, we got. I gotta use the token term, you have black friends. Um, right. But at the same time, right? Oh, um, you know, being a white man, you didn't, it, and i heard this a lot it didn't matter if you're a christian or not where you were co-workers it didn't matter where you were most a lot of white men were paused like they felt like like they didn't know exactly what to say what to do and you're a pastor so you pausing actually had an impact and then there's rose who's like well i've been here right and so it's it i didn't expect minneapolis to be an epicenter but i've been in the urban community i'm a white woman i get it but i'm exposed so i think It's important to. I wanted to call that out as people are listening and as we're having this conversation, so we can kind of meet each other where we are as we're talking, right? I'm a parishioner, right? I use a big old, you know, big old school word, just to say I'm a church member, right? I don't have a, um, a view like you guys have, but I will say that, um, you know, the church I currently attend in Charlotte, uh, Christ Central, is is definitely multicultural, multiethnic, and it is something that we've had. A consistent amount of conversation on um and my pastor is black um and so it's been it's been good this has added a level of strain to it obviously I'm sure he's feeling it I appreciate you sharing that sean because I'm like it makes me look at howard a little bit differently I've always known but just kind of to see it um but like as as pastors um now uh, actually I wouldn't even say now but like how do we get how do we get to a point where this becomes normalized a bit in regards to our understanding of the cultures right um, I, I, whoever wants to respond to that go ahead you can you can respond but i hope that makes sense where i'm going with this
2: yeah totally i, I think it has to be something that comes up like you know if we're if we're I mean, we're preachers we're, we're preaching about sin i mean this has to come up in the regular rhythms and, and, and i mean especially for 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 a place like Richmond, I mean, this has history. I mean, deep roots, like stuff underneath the soil when it comes to these issues and the divisions here. I mean, you can't not know about it. You, you can't avoid it. And, and you know, there have been less years from it, you know, than, than before. So right. it needs to be talked about. It, it needs to be, even if there are people coming in who are not from Richmond, there needs to be an awareness of, hey, this is the room you're walking into. And hey, this is what's going on. This is why the city is the way that it is. Here's the history. Here's what we're we're moving intentionally moving towards and being mm-hmm. being vocal about. So I don't think it could just be something where like we're in the middle of you know and folks are probably talking about it in Idaho too. But like we're this this has some really specific things as far as our context is concerned. And so yeah, I mean at least locally here that's that's why we got to talk about it. And yeah. and it has to be one of the things that comes up. Um, when we're looking at scripture, when we're looking at how individuals sin, how groups sin. I mean, when we're, we're talking about these things, it has to be part of the diet and essential uh, in what we're, what we're talking to our people about Um, when we're talking about unrighteousness and justice and things like that.
0: Right. I want to make a comment to that. And then you guys all pile in. I think there's two ways we need to talk about it. Right. And again, I'm, I've always wanted to just talk to pastors and be like, pastors, just do this, you know? Um, I feel like there's two ways we need to talk about it. One is we need to talk about it from the incident standpoint, right? Like we have issues, right? That's that perspective, which I think the world is heavily doing that, meaning like heavily saying an incident occurred like George Floyd, which was a catalyst, right? And then we're we're now talking about it. That's one way of talking about it. The other way of talking about it, I feel like is, and I and, and Randall, you touched this a bit, and I, I, I would like to hear your response to some of this too, because of your perspective, is, you know, have a friend, right? And so... I think so. there's one thing to talk to someone and say, "What's the issues?" and it's another thing to just have relationships with people, right? And that's the other side of talking about it. I think that needs to happen, where we need to be able to feel across races. And I'm not saying it's just for me being a black man and you, are, you, you know, you two specifically, Rose and Randall being white, but no matter what. So when my Asian friend or when my Latin ex friend goes through something, I feel it immediately because they're my friend, not because I'm so. Uh, ignorant to their life you know and i think that's part of the problem the level of ignorance that's that exists and it's unfortunately in the church is so high so when something happens we're like what's going on you see you, you see what i'm saying
3: yeah randall i'm sorry go ahead no I, I was just agreeing with you um you know one thing i was going to throw in there matt and that strain is um mo- when it comes to um, the African American community and police, the relationship there, and even even the um, the journey of say the black man in America, most white people don't believe there's a problem. Mm. Most white people are sitting here going, "Why? Why are y'all so upset? Mm. What's all this fuss about?" They, they don't get it. They just don't get it. They don't understand the problem and you don't get it until you sit across the table from somebody who's very close to you and you're very close with them. And they go, there's a problem. (laughs) Let me tell you my experience. And when you hear from their experience, you're like, Oh crap. I, I didn't know it was like that. That's mm. not been my experience. Yeah. You know, I, I sat across the table, a uh, very close friend of mine, and he was like, you know, both of my sons have been stopped by the police for traffic issues and ended up with guns in their face from the police. So I'm like, what? Mm. Why? He's, and he would say, that's where we are. So, you know, and most people, most white people don't get that. They don't. Mm because it's not our experience. Yes, Mm -hmm. cops are, a lot of times cops can be jerks, (laughs) but I've Mm -hmm. never had a gun pointed at me
2: Mm
0: -hmm.
3: by a cop. And so it's not until you value that relationship and begin to grow relationships with other people, people who are different from you, people whose traditions are very different from you, people whose backgrounds are very different from you, and you, you develop that relationship and create a bridge then begin to have those conversations, it's it's not until that moment that your eyes are open and you go, ah, okay, there is a problem, you know. Mm-hmm. And that's why I love your approach, Matt. This whole civil conversations thing. It, it it's a big deal because I think it's the pathway to healing. Mm-hmm. I think it is the road, it is the bridge to healing.
0: Yeah, I, I appreciate you covering saying all of that because I think part of it. Part of why we're doing the civil conversation is to really have true conversations between different perspectives and different people's lives so we know exactly what's going on um, all the way around. Um, and you're right. I mean, I, I don't, you know, I was on a call um, at work and there was a, um, uh, it was primarily focused on African Americans on there. And maybe 75% of the black men were like, yeah, we've all been stopped or possibly handcuffed or gunned to our face. And the, the the allies, right, we had some white allies that when it was like, they, they commented, what? like,
3: yeah.
2: they were
0: shocked at how many of, I mean, they were directors, but just senior directors, you know, someone, the, the list is I mean, you're not talking about just a regular everyday person, right? Um, and I don't mean that to insult anyone, but you know, like titles wise within the organization, it was like, you too, like what? It's it's just the reality. Um, yeah, it is, it is. I'm sorry, um, Rose, are you about to chime in on something there?
1: Well, I was gonna touch on your your question and your comment. So, your question around um, uh, okay, tell me your first question that we were just um, talking about of, of kind of like our approach.
0: Yeah, um, how do we? Well, it's just really just talking about it as one aspect, right, or from an incident standpoint. And the other yeah, side of that yeah. is like going <laughs> forward, like how do we build it from a relational standpoint? Kind of where Randall was talking about when we have a friend, right? And that those are the two things that happen. We're, we're we're speaking more definitely incidentally, if that's a word, a lot. So that's where that was coming from.
1: Yeah, so, because I think in thinking about how we equip p- our people for these kinds of conversations or awareness or what, however we want to frame it, um, I think that you're right to say that it is, it comes up largely from um, incident standpoints. Um, you know, we have these ed- incidences, we got to react. But I think actually for me, I would come at it in a different way. So for example, instead of having to um, teach our congregation in a reactionary standpoint, because again, an incident happens, I have to react and help teach my congregation about this. Instead, what if we saw race, politics, the intersection of that with our faith as a discipleship issue, then it would be a part of our every single day, time, space together, instead of reactionary based when something happens. Because um, especially if we are looking at the cultural context of the, of Scripture, mm-hmm. especially in the um, New Testament, well, f- throughout all of Scripture, if we are looking for power dynamics, if we are looking for ways in which difference comes together to like confront that um, as God's people, we will see it all throughout scripture. So I think the question for us as pastors is, do we one know that in scripture and are we discipling our people from that lens? So when something happens, it isn't reactionary. It's part of our of our ethos as God's people. So I think that's more so the shift that I, um, at least as a discipleship pastor would want to have, because I think the reactionary, it's gonna flare up all the emotions because we're in that moment. And instead, if we've given our people the tools, how better equipped they'll be when those instances inevitably will happen in the United States.
2: To just tag on to that, yeah, I think it even speaks to a larger picture of how the church historically has been more reactionary to a lot of these things, and it's been behind the issues, especially this issue, more than anything. And so when this stuff happens, it's like, you know, if 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 the conversation has now been at is now at a 301 level, I mean, there are a lot of churches that are having 101 conversations for the first time. It's like, man, we're still playing catch up, and it seems like, I mean, again, historically, it's always been that way because there's been a maybe a a large and looming emphasis on you don't touch those things you don't speak on those things but again you open scripture and you see it there and and again i think as rose said we've got to be proactive instead of simply reactive and again that gets people used to to talking about these things discussing these things feeling comfortable confident to move towards people who are different building relationships having an awareness and a knowledge and and again i think both of those things combined it 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 moves the needle and it's hard it's messy i mean people want snap your fingers silver bullet kind of things but this is the this is the way that we slowly move this thing forward and in time you know it's going to take that but we're starting somewhere so hopefully we won't be in the same place 50 years from now so yeah i thought that was really good you said that was
0: yeah, um, I uh, I thought but, well, both of you guys said it was really good. I I'm hundred percent advocate for something like that, right? Where we can make it a you said discipleship issue um, around politics and race, and I think you're right. Uh, I I think we are in the U.S. specifically, right? We are also victims of the way we the way we um, build our own cultures, right? Um, the people who we work with, the people who we you know, live by, the people who we, you know, consort with, et cetera. And then we bring it into church, right? So now you bring it into church and it's like, okay, well, you know, I want to have a multi-ethnic church. Okay. Well, go find me, you know, one black person. All right. Now we're multi-ethnic, right. And then we just kind of like leave it at that, at that limit. And I think part of the discipleship point you're bringing up though, however, it has to do with it. Not necessarily what church is like within the four walls only, but also how people are leaving outside of the church to build, the relationships that they have like out there right because you know ray you mentioned earlier it's like this is a sin issue right? um i will say that i've heard from our evangelical side of people that that's been the immediate response to say well it's just a sin issue here's the gospel list and move on um and almost say, almost say it dismissively but i know what you mean by that it's about the actions that we have to take with that right um for the most part <clears throat> excuse me so yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm with you guys on that. Um, Randall, uh, I had a question for you on, uh, I know you kind of getting something. You got me, Randall? Yeah, I'm with you. Yeah. Um, when it comes to your church and being a white pastor in the South and having black attendees, and then you've lost some, uh, now where, where, how do we look at what we just talked about discipleship and moving forward? How are you looking at that right now? Are you, are you trusted to do so? Do you feel, you know what I mean? Like, hope you get where I'm going. I'm not trying to push you in a certain direction. I'm just curious
3: in in some ways. And and I I just appreciate the platform here to, to, to vent a little bit, (laughs) (laughs) but in in some ways, um, you know, I feel like I'm in a no win situation Mm -hmm um mm. because overnight m- my voice has been taken away. And and I feel like I may I may be wrong, probably wrong, but I feel like almost anything I say is wrong, you know, and can be construed wrong or taken wrong. And so you know one of the one of the responses to that is just say nothing and let your heart break inside of you, you know. Um and yet you you're right. Discipleship is the thing. It's creating that culture. You know, culture is a behavior system. Theology is a belief system, Mm. but culture is a behavior system. It's one thing for a church to believe something It's something completely different is how they behave.
0: Mm. So,
3: you know, what Rose is talking about is the DNA of a follower of Jesus, the DNA of the church of Jesus Christ, this kind of stuff, man, it should be built into our DNA you know, Paul said, the Apostle Paul said, in Christ, there is neither Greek nor Jew, male nor female. And I would even add to that black or white or brown, you know, um, but we are all one in him. And so, you know, I, one of the things I love to talk about at, at our church, at least in years past, has been, hey, if we... You know, the church on Sunday mornings is the most segregated place in America. Mm. And if we can't get along here on planet Earth, what are we going to do when we get to heaven? (laughs) If you get to heaven. Yeah, that's your brother. If you can't love your brother, uh, I'm not so sure you're going to get to heaven. Do we find that we that's
0: that's really good. Do we find that? I, again, look, being on the, the, quote unquote, outside of church and inside of church, I find that the narrative is almost similar. It's so weird, like, do you find that it's just difficult for people to really believe that this stuff's going on so they just want to ignore it? Because it's ha- like, I, you know what I mean? And it's, yeah. you know, so is it like lacking love or is it having like a, a, a large amount of ignorance or is it a mix of both? Like, I, I don't I don't know, you know? Anybody can answer that one. I'm just- I think, I'm just, I'm thinking I think for I'm the right. most part,
3: it's not a lack of love. <laughs> I think it's mainly ignorance. Um, Does it become yeah, willful though when it, somebody
0: literally in your church says, I'm dealing with this issue and then you don't really respond to it. At that point, isn't that willful ignorance?
3: Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, I, I, go ahead. Go ahead, Rachel. No, I was just saying,
2: I think you know the ignorance part is uh, something that sticks out in my mind was uh, visiting the, the Civil Rights Museum in, in Memphis a couple years ago and uh and just walking through and seeing how the museum was like majority older white people and they're locked in on the exhibits and just staring hard at them because they're like I had no idea this was going on and it's like mm-hmm. really wait I mean I mean I'm 50 years younger than you I knew this I mean history <laughs> and stuff but like they were locked in and I mean we even movies we went to go see the help one time on a day we, we just I don't know what we expected we walked in the theater but it was like filled with like older white people. They were like, what gives? And then the reality is you find out that a lot of them had, you know, the help in their own households and they had no idea that these were the realities these black women were facing outside of that. And it's like, again, there's there's, there's ignorance. I mean, even when we were talking about Richmond, like. This was like the hub capital of, of slavery and they were talking about people who lived, you know, five, 10 miles outside of the city, not even having an idea. I mean, people from New York newspapers had to come in and do exposés on the, the evil that was happening. And, and I think it's always been a, a, a large part of ignorance. And I think it gets willful when you look the other way. And when you you say, well, that's not my responsibility. Right, and and that becomes something that is that is dangerous because, and it could even be in saying, well, "I just don't know what to do," so that's not my responsibility, or or this is too big of a thing, so that's my not my responsibility. And I think that's when it becomes it becomes um, much more much more hurtful. I mean, it's it's hurtful in e- either way, passive or active. But you know, that passive ignorance can become active if there's a way, if there's you know, not a sense in which I'm going to speak up or I'm going to I'm going to actually try to do something about this and. I think the same thing exists today. Our, our, our churches, I'm sorry, Rose, if you were gonna comment, please comment
0: on this, but our churches, in some cases, I'm being general, okay, you only, you guys only represent three, so focused on their vision that they're blinded by the realities of the world's issues, and not really, in some cases, wanna make it a focus, right? And, and some churches are focusing on it. We know that they are, right? I mean, I, like I just said, my church is focused on it. I mean, Randall, you want to focus on it. Rose, you touched on that, right? Rachel, I ain't doing that. But some are just like, it's the gospel is an issue. They preach one sermon, maybe two, and then they moved on. Um, but like, as leaders in the, in the Christian community, you know, how do we become proactive in this? I'll, I'll bring this one example up, and Rose, please respond, uh, you know, however. I, I, somebody comes into church, a man comes into church, um, says he's been um, beating his wife or it finds out he's been beating his wife, right? Or whatever. There's an immediate, you know, elder or, or deacon attached to that person. Accountability, prayer, um, you know, accountability partner, like I said earlier, you know, um, uh, steps are going to be put in place for that person to deal with that sin. And then hopefully if they're trying to, you know, rebuild their walk with God, you know, you get them the restoration. That doesn't sound the same for, Race issues. It it just it it. Y'all feel me? Yes. <laughs> you know.
1: Yeah. We gotta would,
0: get there. Go ahead, Rose.
1: Yeah, I would say. I mean, first, I would say maybe they have that in place. Mm, I mean, uh, being a woman in uh, Christian circles, maybe they have a process to um, hopefully address that woman. That's true. Name. That's fair. That's uh, very fair. Me too movement, right? Right. Um, but I would say both of those, that example, as well as, um, racism in the church, whether, you know, it's ignorance or whatnot. I think all of it is wrapped up in power though, too. I mean, white people have power. We're used to it. We like it. We don't want to give it up. Like if we're really honest, I mean, and who is controlling the fact that we're ignorant to it? I mean that's power to be unaware of it because mainstream media or whatever is not um, you know sharing that. And so I think we have to be mindful of of not just the individual. this is just a heart issue, this is just sin, this is individual. it's systemic, it's structural, it is, um, it's about power. And I think that we love uh, the idolatry of power, you know? Yeah. All
0: right. I have to I have to push back, not because I don't agree, but mm-hmm. because there's narratives out there. People, we have church members, black, white, doesn't matter what it is, that they by default don't believe is systemic, okay? Mm-hmm. So even if you walk into church and your pastor says it's, it's systemic, you're... You almost are like, well, fine then, I'm gonna take my tithes and roll. Like, you know, uh, and that's, and, you know, as a, as a, I don't, again, I'm not trying to be pick on pastors, but as a pastor, you're like, well, I, I worry about your soul and your check, you know, so, but like the thing is, <laughs> but I, I, where I'm going with that is I'm not disagreeing with you, Rose. It's just that there's so much stuff that's coming in that you deal with as pastors or as church members across the aisle, right? Or whatever. Um, and you're like, again, like I said, there are people who don't believe that. So how do you even, how do you, how do you disciple that? How do you disciple something that no one wants to believe is a problem? Even if you tell them that it is.
3: One of the, one of the practical things we're doing, uh, that we're going to start doing Matt is basically in our church on Facebook. Um, we're going to put together a series of conversations very, we're, we're kind of modeling after what you're doing here. And we're going to start the conversation at our church and sit down with, uh, some key people at our church. Awesome. And like, I've, I've invited Matt to come and help us and be a part of it. I think that's kind of where it starts is, is just being open, being honest, having real conversations. Uh, that's a start, you know, that's simply a start. And, um, you know, there, there's a lot of things to challenge about church. Um, (laughs) with this COVID-19 thing, everything that has worked for us as as a church overnight has been, has become irrelevant. So we're having to completely rethink and restructure how we approach church at all. Yeah. You know?
2: So, so when I, when I think of how, I, I mean, this is, this is a model that has been it's been here, you know, as, as people say, like, it's the traditional African-American church. Like, we, we're in a community, right? There's a bank in the community that's discriminating against the people in the community by not giving them loans or small business loans. So all of those people go into the same church. And Pastor knows that this bank is twisted. He calls out that bank in the sermon sometimes, he calls out that bank, he visits the bank, stop discriminating against my people. Like there's a model, and I think what we need to do is start to to come closer and and help. I mean, these, these things directly affect the congregation. And I think about, you know, scripturally, James, he had people in his church who were being taken advantage of by wealthy landowners. This man calls it out. They don't go to his church. They're taking advantage of his people, discriminated against them for whatever, on the basis of whatever. Mm-hmm. It, it, that has to be a, a, a where, we, where we're knowing our people, where our people are knowing other people. Mm-hmm. how close mm-hmm. do you have to be to ask somebody about them the, you know the, the interest rate on their loan? How close do you have to be to somebody to ask them about their property tax and, and why it's higher than, than theirs who live? How close do you have so, so again, it's this combination of re- relational, but this awareness of systemic, and again, I think that the black church is a model where it's not a thing. It's not, it's not even political per se. It is to call out the ways that, that there's discrimination and injustice happening in a community, to speak to it as the people of God and to address it head on. So often what we do when we see these systemic things is we see them after. I mean, the, the man beating his wife is an individual thing. So we confront it, we put him under church discipline or, or excommunicate him or whatever the case is. But right. we find out about the, the bank or the, the loan sharks six months after they're out of business and we find out that they're, they've been discriminating against people for years. And it's too late at that point. So, so what do we do in, in the real time and the now? And I think that has a lot to do with our relationships and it's messy and uncomfortable, right? As I keep saying, but like, it, it starts with that. And I think that's a model, like what would it look like for us to, to go, at, you know, for, for white churches to go to African-American churches in the city, even though they may not be, you know, proximity wise close, but to say, what are the things going on in these communities? And not come in, you know, if it's a white church, come in as, as this white savior type deal, but just to be aware of the things, the experiences of other people, and to be able to, to, to call those things out, to be able to speak to them and to be able to point people. Because again, when we're having these discussions about terms and systemic racism and institutional racism and culture, those are terms that people are gonna go home and forget because it's not close to their lives. They don't experience these things. I mean, it's a lot like COVID, everybody's fighting it until you get it. And, and, and this is what happens. And so what would it look like to 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 be aware of the experiences of other people in the city and to be able to call out and speak to those things with churches coming together who are who are dealing with different contexts um and again that's real high that's real super flyover level but but i think that to to say that there are churches that have been historically and are doing these things um what would it look like for churches that are new to this conversation to come alongside and to point to these realities instead of trying to point to a definition or something that happened you know, 150 years ago or something, but to point to the right now and see that, hey, this is what's going on. I mean, even we were talking, whatever, and Rose mentioned bus lines. Like, these bus lines aren't even being able to go out to to more affluent parts of the city. Like, -hmm. that affects people. You know what I mean? Like, what can the church be doing and thinking about, even if it's not close to the communities where the bus lines have stopped, to address that? And and things like that. I, I I think there's the 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 realities are there. It's it's trying to trying to connect um, the people who are in ignorance to the people who are affected extremely by by some of these things. So I want to oh,
0: thank you for that piece. And before you respond, Randall, I want to point out. So Rose was just given a tornado warning in her area, so oh. that's why her that's why her location just changed. So prayerfully everything will be okay there. Um, Rose, you feel free to disconnect if you'd like yeah, um, for now. You.
1: Sorry. And, and then and
0: then you can rejoin him when everything is clear. Okay, if we're still on, all yeah. right? All uh, right, thank, thank
1: you. you. I'm so sorry.
0: No, no, that happens. Your safety is more important.
1: Thanks, appreciate it.
0: Wow. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yes, I, I'm with you on what you're saying, Rayshawn, just to continue on the conversation. Um, the, the part that's really, it's it's going to take a lot of proactive work, right? It's going to take a lot of proactive work, especially that last part where you said, you know, for those who are just now getting involved into these, these things like what to do. So it's kind of like what Randall's talking about, right? What he wants to start doing at his church, not because he hasn't done some of it, but now it's it's a more proactive uh, a proactive bit of work that needs to be that needs to be done. Sorry, Randall, were you going to respond to that?
3: Well, I just think that um, I love I love what you're saying there, Rashon. And the things that we're talking about right now, um, <clears throat> I think, are probably way more important than we even understand. Um, the, the timing is so significant that mm-hmm. I think churches must act and they must act now. Uh, church has the best platform to create positive change. Mm. Uh, because we serve a mighty change agent. And yep. if, if, um, and the reason I say that, it's critical that we jump into action quickly because there are extremist groups. Um, I just heard recently uh, the sheriff for Forsyth County here in North Carolina, he's an African-American, and he is saying that the white supremacist groups and the black supremacist groups are arming themselves with military grade equipment, they're prepared for war. Before that ever even ignites, he says it's brewing out in the surface, nobody's talking about it, before that ever ignites, what would happen if the church would activate and just through simply starting the conversation, find a road, find a bridge toward healing so that, you know, none of the shooting ever starts. <laughs> right. Yeah. I,
0: I, we don't want to, we do not want to get to that point. We definitely oh. need to find out, we need to find our role as a church in that. And I think it's, it's bigger than just necessary the organized aspect. And I say that in respect to the organized church, but just in general, like, how do we get that? How do we get that out there? Right. And be able to get into those spaces to help ensure that, something like that doesn't happen right um but I want to go to one question that did pop up uh, that I got and you guys feel free um, to, to respond one was on um, what role do you think the church historically has played in this current space and I think you touched we touched some of that already but it's like do we already have somewhat of a playbook right so like and I, I I'm gonna shoot at that answer real quick and then you guys please respond like we I, I'm not even gonna go far I'm just going to say the '60s, right? The the amount of REVs, reverends, that was in front of people's names that have died in the name of civil rights. These guys were ministers, right? Um, and uh, so, I, you know, I think in that level of history, you know, we know that the church has been involved, um, and we can even go back as you know as far as Jesus, right? So if you guys want to chime in on that answer, what do you what do you think, right? What's our, what's been our history, right?
3: Well, it's an Mm -hmm. interesting question. I I think, you know, I think from the African-American standpoint, there's been a lot of activists um, and probably on both sides. Mm -hmm. But it just seems like similar to the event of, say, George Floyd's death. There's a lot of activism on the African-American side of things. And then on the white side of things, there's like this deer in the headlights. Mm hmm. And I'm, I'm wondering if maybe that's kind of been the history of church. Mm. Does that resonate
2: at all with you guys? I agree. I, I think it, I, I'd explain it just like that. I think there's been a lot of, lot of activism on the, uh, the side of African-Americans and, um, and, and a lot of silence on the side of the, uh, probably the, the, the white evangelical church. And even when you split it, I mean, you look at all the people, the, the, the clergy that showed up at, at Selma to, to do this thing. It's a lot of folks from the north, a lot of clergy from the mm. north. And and um, you look at the response in the south. You read the letter that was sent to Martin Luther King before, you know, before he responds with the letter from Birmingham Jail, and there's this attitude of. Uh, this addressing it from this place of neutrality with you know, waiting and order the courts and, and, and you know, bet, best actions and practical solutions. And I think the church, again, when we bring it into today the that there's, there are a lot of the same, same responses and reactions and traditions of those responses. And, and I think even today, the, the church has got to realize that, that the actions that it takes today do echo and reflect on the the actions of the past. I mean if we're we're turning a corner with this and speaking then we're doing that being connected with the silence of the past but if it's silent today that echoes loudly of you know speaking to the silence of the past and uh, we're not just isolated individual little autonomous pieces of sure in the way we function but we are connected to larger traditions and again if you look at an African-American church it's connected to a larger tradition of speaking out of activism, of of mm-hmm. pursuing justice for the community, uh, and so so it is connected. There there are streams in which, in which um, the responses flow from. So I yeah I, I definitely piggyback on what what Ray was saying. Um, I think that's entirely true.
0: No, that's that's great. I'm going to pivot on the term you said. Um, you said larger. Would you say larger movements? Is that what you said? Larger. How'd you say that, Rayshawn? You're going back. Going back to. Say- you so, said what you mean- like other movements, like larger movements. Like this comes from like being what was the term you used?
2: Oh, larger movements in
0: the past, the different yeah, shapes. Larger of- movements in oh. the past, yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to use that term and pivot to something on let's switch over to politics. Mm-hmm. Um, part of the reason why politics is also important um, is that in you know the larger movements, um, let's just call it an elephant and a donkey, right? And everything else in between, um, do have a major role in the way this nation runs when it comes to christians however um there is a divide um i I mean there's a divide now more than i've ever seen um and when it comes to politics and the bible is being literally split in half to justify whichever side you stand on i'm going to take this off the table right abortion for now right abortion is like Literally, the only thing that I hear more from a Christian standpoint, I've, I still believe that there's some LGBTQIA things that are said, but it's I'm just talking about what's being said. Um, but for the most part, that's kind of it. Right. Everything else is all around what you believe in at this point. Right. Conservativism, you know, capitalism, you know, uh, you know, these people are liars. These people are not liars and all that other stuff. But that gets brought in the church. That gets brought in the church. And in some cases it really doesn't get brought in church because the churches have tried to stay away from it on the pulpit, from the pulpit, sort of. But I think it's still there, right? When you think about the ministers who are always, you know, maybe meeting with the presidents or, you know, or meeting with the governor, or meeting, you, you know what I mean? Like, how have you guys been dealing with the political aspect, you know, of this in your own church or in your own life, you know? whichever one of you two can, can comment on that. Are y'all afraid? You see, this the thing about ministers, right? They're, they're
2: well-trained and to not touch politics. Personally, I feel politically homeless, um, which frees me. I feel like to be able to, to knock the, uh, the, the things on both sides, like I feel like yeah. there's, you know, I think that should be the posture. And uh, I understand everybody has their 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 views and their values, um, but I think that the pastor being politically homeless in a sense to be able to to, to criticize both sides when necessary, when needed, uh, and you know I think that's a that's a good thing. Uh, I I've always try to make it a point in, in sermons to say, you know, especially in sermons on reconciliation or sermons on just simply being the church and our culture uh, will you move towards people on the other side and I say other side knowing where my congregation stands but also knowing where the people who are in our congregation stand and 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 when I say other side it could you know people might think they immediately think oh that side, the left side or they immediately think oh the right side and, and so um, I think that's a good way to, to put it out there. I think it's also, you, you see, you see politics and in, in the, the the pandering and the posturing of politicians all throughout Scripture, and it's it's cruel cool and creative when you can call it out, um, mm-hmm. when you can look and see what what different kings and different judges mm-hmm. and different things did, and it's really no different than than today. And I think that gives that's able to provide us some some sense of sometimes humor, but also. Hey, let's let's ease up a little bit we, we hold these things with a really tight fist let's make sure we're, we're really holding to the kingdom of God more than anything and and hold the rest of these things loosely um I think it'd be I think it'd be wise for us to 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 not marry ourselves to our political parties but to to date them and uh I think that's a better strategy I'm so gonna, yeah that is really good and I'm gonna say
0: something random before you go in I um you're right but Let's talk about how it is, too, right? <laughs> the way I'm just going to say it the way the left side or Democrats are always being blamed for trying to go after the black minority vote is the same way the right slash conservative side goes after the Christian evangelical vote. It's yeah. just a fact, period. I mean, you, you, I mean, you could take the most, I mean, ridiculous politician, and he had never read the Bible ever once in his life, and you gotta throw a Bible in his hand if he runs for a Republican anything. Like you just got to, and that that's the vote that they're going after. To me, that tells me the amount of impact that we as a church as Christians have on politics, to me. So do we I know what you're saying, Rashawn, where we should be, but where we are right now is we are influencing politics if we don't want to admit it or not i've heard people from the pulpit actually say it i know they say something not to but i've heard people from the pulpit like say go vote for this person and go vote for that you know Randall, go ahead.
3: oh no i i was just gonna say i i've always been taught like my pastor who mentored me always taught me stay away from politics Mm -hmm. in the pulpit because it's just too divisive i love what ray sean said you know politically homeless
0: Hope you guys uh, got an earful on that one and was blessed by that part of the conversation. Uh, Please go ahead and uh, take a break. Go get what you need. Come on back and uh, listen to part two. It gets even better.